0: Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. No one is seeking God in Israel. They are all steeped in sin, and even their good acts are tainted. And Isaiah realizes their need for God. He knows that God is their salvation, and that they can't save themselves. But in this passage, we see that Israel is relying upon themselves and their self righteousness, as well as worshipping other gods. In the last chapter, Isaiah is troubled by the distance and silence of God. But by contrast, in this chapter, God is responding with comforting promises for his servants. Israel, most of Israel, isn't seeking God, but God is seeking his people. And we know that God has, in fact, rent the heavens and come down, because this passage is a picture of Jesus, who pursued us by becoming human, and by his life, death, and resurrection, rescued us and gave us a place in his kingdom. In this chapter, Israel doesn't want to know God. They're doing what he hates, knowing it's wrong. And worse, they're doing it openly, parading their sin before God and others, as though it's something to be proud of. They're doing anything from worshipping pagan gods and offering sacrifices and committing sexual immorality to consulting the dead and eating ceremonially unclean foods. But what God really hated was their hypocrisy They were deluded about their own holiness, and they bragged that they were sacred and holier than thou, even though they were so sinful. They were committing meaningless religious acts while their hearts were far from God. During that time, pagan gods, they believed pagan gods were altered by ritual and sacrifice, regardless of what was going on in people's hearts, and Israel was acting this way towards the living God. But in First John, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Jesus also spoke about hypocrisy. He said to the Pharisees, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. And this is because God doesn't just want your righteous acts. He wants you, and he wants your heart. Now, it's easy to separate ourselves from the Israelites. They lived 2,500 years ago, and they worshipped pagan gods. And we think, how stupid they are. Their gods are made up. Open your eyes, people. They are in a covenant relationship with God. They should know better. We don't want to see the relevance or connection to our own lives. But if we think of ourselves as any better, we're like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. We become the hypocrites. We, like them, know that God is our saviour, but instead we build our identity and put our trust in things that will change and pass away. We think the Israelites are stupid for forsaking their faithful God, and that's because they are, but so can we be as well. I'm not going to give you a list of sins, because we all know where we have failed and put our trust in things besides God, but I just want you to think for a moment about the things that you've put your trust in besides God. And in particular, think about the ways that you've tried to save yourself or to earn God's grace. And then I'm just going to pray and pray for repentance. Father God, we are so sorry for trying to put our trust in things besides you. We acknowledge all our sins to you because we know that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know all the motives of our heart. Forgive us and help us. We know that we can't save ourselves and that you are our only hope. But so often we try to earn your love. Thank you for your limitless grace and help us to understand that your righteousness is enough. Enable us to pursue you and only you. We know you deserve everything we are and have and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, back to Israel. Because of their sin, they were separated from God and under his judgment. But we know that God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He holds his hand out to people who don't know him, fear or love him. And he reached out and did everything that was needed by sending warnings through his prophets. But people didn't listen. And so they were going to get what they deserved, which was their sins paid back in full. But for the remnant, that was God's chosen people, who waited on and sought after God and trusted in his promises, they will get what they don't deserve. They are given God himself and can rejoice forever in his kingdom. What God actually offers is us is beyond anything we could imagine or comprehend because we get God himself. This is entirely from God's grace. God is holding out his hands to you. No matter what you've done, he wants you. He's saying to you, here am I, here am I. If God only cared about justice, no one could stand before him. We would all perish because we've all done wrong in his sight. But I praise God because he is just and merciful. The annoying thing about being a Christian is that you have to accept that you're a bad person, that you need God and rely on His grace. But it's only under- when we understand the problem and the consequences of the problem that we understand the magnitude of the solution. Those who don't pursue God will be finally and completely separate from Him, the God who is goodness, light, and life. But those who do pursue Him get a place in His kingdom, and this is through Jesus who is hungry and thirsty and put to shame and cried out because of us and for us. So how do we pursue God? Well, a book that I was reading on Isaiah says, A servant of God recognizes that God needs nothing, that he has already freely given everything I need or want, and that, in fact, there is nothing I could ever do to earn these things. What I need is God's presence in my life. And that presence is only possible when I renounce my right to myself and hurl myself into his arms, committed with all my being to be like him, simply because I want to. To be a servant of God means to surrender yourself wholly to him, just as Jesus submitted himself to his Father. We know that we can't earn God's grace and that our worship is thankfulness to God for his unconditional love and sacrifice. We are God's true people if we pursue him with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. So love God and love your neighbor too, because whatever you do to serve others, you do for Jesus. Pursue God because he pursues you. Um, In pairs for
1: 20 seconds, I would like you to discuss the question if I can get it on the screen, okay, no, okay, well, while we get this sorted, could you discuss when was the last time you got really excited about something, or really looked forward to something, and when was this? Everyone done? Too much excitement. Um, Yeah. So to me, this passage should make us very excited. Um, But it doesn't have a happy beginning. In this book, Isaiah has to warn the people of Judah that judgment is coming. It is coming because God's people have betrayed him. They have worshipped heathen gods and forgotten that God chose them and rescued them from Egypt. They took for granted the land and the promise that he would always be their God. God wanted them to be a blessing to the whole world but they were unfaithful to him. In Isaiah chapter 39, Isaiah tells the story of how Babylonians come to see Hezekiah, with a present from Babylon. Hezekiah welcomes them, but Isaiah later tells the king that one day everything in Jerusalem will be taken away to Babylon. Nothing will be left. This is the ultimate disaster for the Jews. How could God abandon his chosen people? But God hasn't abandoned them. Isaiah goes on to tell the people God's promise that they will return to their land after 70 years, and rebuild Jerusalem, and worship in the temple again. But that's only the beginning. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah will come to his people. In Isaiah 53, we find out that the Messiah will suffer and die for his people. Jesus will bring us forgiveness for our sins, so that we can all be God's children. But that's still not all. Isaiah looks forward again, to Jerusalem being fully restored to greater glory. And one day there will be peace on earth, and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth where every tear will be wiped away, and God's people will see him face to face. They will live with him forever. Everything that we have spoiled will be restored and will be perfect. So this bit of Isaiah 65 is talking about that um, that amazing day, but it's also talking about when God's true people will return from exile. These words kind of happen twice, although in the new creation they will happen properly and more fully. The good news about this is that these words apply to those of us here today who are God's true people too. So... Can we go back? So, a few answers you may have given to the question, when was the last time you got really excited about something? Maybe Christmas, the new iPhone 6, or a holiday that maybe you're looking forward to in the Christmas holidays. But now, I'd like you to think to yourself this time about when was the last time... When was the last time you got really excited about heaven? So for me, my answer to this question would be nowhere near recently enough. I think it is easy in the world that we live in today to get caught up in the material things and things happening around us each day. I don't think anyone, myself included, spends enough time reflecting on heaven and the eternal joy awaiting us. To me it seems this is what the second half of Isaiah 65 is telling us to do. Got it now. In verse 18, we are told to be glad and rejoice which means to show great joy in what the Lord will create. He's going to create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. To me, it wasn't immediately clear why he talks about Jerusalem here. But at the time this was written, Jerusalem would have been known as a city where God dwells with his people. This alone should get us excited about heaven. We get to dwell with the Lord, our creator and our saviour. Later, in verse 19, we learn that not only will heaven be a delight, but God will delight in us. When reading this I was reminded of Sephanah 317 Um, (laughs) where we learned that he's going to take great delight in us um, and he will rejoice over us in singing. Isn't this a reason to get excited in itself? God will delight in us even though we are totally undeserving. We get to spend eternity with him. We shouldn't just let this get us excited. This should also encourage us to evangelise to friends and family all around us that don't know Christ as their saviour. We should want this joy for them, but also want them to be with us in eternal life. But this feeling of joy shouldn't stop there. Going back to verse 17, the Lord says that former things will not be remembered, or either come to mind, which is also shown when in the second half of verse 19, it says the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. This suggests that there will be no more pain, but not only no more pain, no memory of pain. This occurs again in Revelation 21. Four, where it says God will wipe every tear from our eyes, there will be no more death, mourning, or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. Both these verses are similar, as they remind us that former pain will pass, and it will be no more. From this, it is important to remember that suffering and pain is temporary, and that heaven will last forever. So, in current suffering on earth, we should have hope, as we know it won't last. Throughout the next few verses, we are presented with even more reasons to be joyful. In verse 20, God talks about us having fullness Fullness of life. Um, And the verses that follow tell us about having security and rewarding work. We're going to enjoy the fruits of our labour, and we won't be laboring in vain. An example of this that's relevant to me currently is exams. At school, we're currently doing lots of mock exams, and I've found that you get three types of people who do well here. One, the people that have worked very hard, but maybe get nervous, so they forget a few facts. Two, the people that are naturally smart and haven't done any revision but can wing it and still do well and three, the people that haven't bothered doing any revision but cheat instead. (laughs) I won't tell you which I am but it's safe to say that all these people don't get what they deserve. They may all get similar grades which doesn't seem fair the people who cheat that rarely get caught and the people that worked incredibly hard make some mistakes due to exam nerves but this isn't what God describes here at all He describes an an incredible place where we won't be cheated of our reward. Instead, we will enjoy the work of our hands. God describes a paradise where he will bless us, but not one that is out of reach to us in any way. It is there for all who want it. But it is like no other paradise we can imagine. Look at verse 24. It is one where we will have intimacy with God. This is shown in the last few verses, but it will be a relationship with God that nothing can end. In verse 25... It says, it says, dust will be the serpent's food, which refers back to Genesis 3.14, where God tells the serpent he will eat dust for, the days of his, for all the days of his life. And of course, we know here he is talking to Satan. This paradise he is describing is one that does not lack God's presence at all, but lacks Satan's. In, Un- in English currently, we're doing a, a, spe- a, a speaking assessment. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think I might fail that one. <laughs> About three things that we would banish to Room 101. Here's a quote explaining it. You asked me once what was in Room 101. I told you that you knew the answer already. Everyone knows it. The thing that's in Room 101 is the worst thing in the world. When you think of the worst thing in the world, you may, think, you may feel some strong emotions. Some ideas from people in my class are... Rubber ducks... Raise boxes and design a clothes so I asked my teacher if it had to be a physical thing or if we could banish anything um, but no, we can banish anything and here this is exactly what God does he banishes Satan, sin and suffering no more evil we'll never sin again and nothing can harm us he continues in verse 25 to say that they will neither harm nor destroy he promises safety and peace from Satan and no more bad will come from him There's a promise of harmony between everyone and every living creature, pictured by the wolf and the lamb feeding together. So what what should we do now? And how should this passage affect us and our daily lives? Well, firstly, as we heard from Megan um, in the first half of Isaiah 65, we should pursue God just as he pursues us. But also, an important thing to remember is how important this decision is to make. It's not a short-term decision that will maybe affect a few years of our lives, but actually one that's going to affect us for eternity, So this should be our driving force to evangelise more and share our faith with friends and family around us. God won't always work in ways that we understand, but us just praying for non-Christians can change their hearts and therefore their future dramatically. But the main point I want you to remember, and I want to emphasise, is the joy and hope we should feel. We as Christians have the promise of an eternal paradise, one with no pain, but intimacy with our God and our Saviour. So in any current or present suffering, we should look forward to what is in store for all God's children. I saw this firsthand when with Cypher I visited Uganda. The Christians over there, despite being in the worst conditions, had so much hope and joy. They completely relied on God and didn't put any trust in earthly situations that could change any second. God was all they needed and the source of all hope, as he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Now we may not be in such a situation as them, but we can certainly learn from their example. When things are tough, we need to put all of our hope in the one thing that can't change, God's love for us, so we can rest knowing we have security, future peace, and plenty. To me, that was pretty exciting.